0: We are at, uh, at week five in our Hebrew series, and this is a letter or a sermon to the Christians in Rome. They were uh, mostly of Jewish heritage, uh, and, and quite frankly, they were struggling, and, and the, the author of Hebrews kind of indicates that they're drifting. You know, the, Many of them have suffered a lot of persecution. Some of them were forced out of their homes, and maybe they're back again. It's been a hard run, and the author is encouraging them, listen, you guys, it is hard, but you can keep going. You can do this because, because Jesus is your King, and he's encouraging. Keep, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is our, is our worship of our Lord. And this week we're in chapter 4, and we're going to read the first 11 verses together. And if you missed last week, just to give some context, chapter 3 finished with this example. He was referring to the story of the Israelites when they had come out of um, slavery, they'd been delivered, and and they're entering into the promised land. And when they were first told to cross over the river Jordan to to get over there, um, they didn't, you know, they didn't obey. And as a result, they they missed out on the promised rest. And that's where chapter 3 of Hebrews finished, retelling that story. And so we pick it up now at the beginning of chapter 4. And we're at uh, obviously verse 1. So you can follow along with me. Here's Here's what it says. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. And as for the others, God said, In my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted, and this is from the psalm, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. The word rest was used a lot, wasn't it, in that passage? And it's a good passage, to be honest. It's somewhat hard to understand. Particularly, what is this rest? What's this rest that the author's going on about? Firstly, this probably isn't a passage about taking holidays or an extended break from work. Although you know that's an important thing. In fact, I preached on this, didn't I, just over a month ago, how getting that kind of rest is important for us because you know, God sends these, these signals in our, in our bodies that says, it's time for you to take a rest. But that's probably not what we're talking about. In fact, this morning, the reason we're a bit sparse up here is for this very reason You know, a whole bunch of the worship team wanted to take holidays all in the same weekend and Mark kind of gingerly said, this is what's going on. I said, good. It's okay. I encourage it. We'll be all right. And we were. You know, three drummers will have a holiday on one Sunday. It's okay. Some of you are saying hallelujah. It's okay. We love it. We love them. We love them. We do. I love our worship team. But you know, this is nice and creative as well and it's okay and I say, no guilt from, from me when you guys need to take a break. But that's not necessarily what this is about this morning. It's important, but this passage goes kind of deeper than that. And, you know, theologians, they've, they've written a lot about this particular chapter and what this might mean, and they, and they don't agree, and that's, you know, not uncommon. <laughs> but there is a lot of ambiguity from the, the author about, in this chapter. Is he talking about? Uh, eternal rest is he talking about Sabbath rest or is he talking about something else something something deeper something internal because all of those things get mentioned or implied in those 11 verses we just we just read so what is it out of those three and, and the answer is is yes or it's the three in my opinion I think it's all those things so let's take a look let's look at eternal rest first because there's no denying that Hebrews 4 has, a, has this in mind. Remember, we're following, like I said, chapter 3, the story of the Israelites, their example of salvation. Hebrews 3 specifically mentioned that salvation story from slavery in, in, in Egypt to rest in Canaan as an example. It kind of points to what's going to come with Jesus. And the failure of the Israelites to say yes to their command to enter Canaan. And so they missed out on that promised rest, you know, a whole generation. God sent them back into the wilderness because they they disobeyed. They lacked the faith that they needed to have to experience, to receive the rest. Even though God had done all the work and miraculously delivered them, he'd proved himself himself over and over again, they needed still to believe in faith to take that next step. To receive that rest, and it's the same for us with our eternal rest. You know, God has done all the work for us on the cross, and saved us, and He's proved Himself to be trustworthy through through you know the resurrection is the big one, but also through signs and wonders, which was mentioned in an an earlier chapter in Hebrews. So it's now up to us to say yes to surrendering to Jesus and the life that He's called us to in faith to receive that rest. And so that's the promise. But those who do, a reward will be resting from the fallen world that we labor in now. That doesn't mean that you know heaven is some kind of eternal Disneyland resort, right? If that's your picture of heaven, I don't think it'll be that. You know, I suspect we'll still have roles to fulfill in heaven. We'll we'll still be serving the king in some capacity, I'm pretty sure. But there will be rest from attacks from the devil. Won't that be good? You know, there'll be rest from temptation and the things that trip us up and sin. Won't that be good? There'll be rest from disease and death and pandemics and wars. Won't that be good? There'll be rest from pain and suffering and trauma. There'll be rest from burnout. It all sounds good to me. But the warning is there. Verse 1, chapter 4 God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Which brings me to my next aspect of rest. Number two this morning is rest for our soul. Rest for our soul. I think this, for me, this is probably the central thrust of this passage. I mean now, right now, in in this present time. Rest for our soul. Jesus says in Matthew, which we'll get to shortly, but he says, you will find rest for your souls. I I think that's what we need to hear today. Specifically, there is a way to have rest from that trembling with fear that we just read about in verse 1. There is rest from anxiety over my salvation. There's rest over my worry about eternity. There's rest from the burden of striving and working to earn my way to heaven. Because while the author says you ought to tremble with fear about missing out, there's a solution. We don't stay in that trembling with fear. We take the solution. That solution is found quite simply in the one who did the work we can't. That solution is is Jesus, is to repent and put our faith in him. And then we don't have to fear that death anymore. We don't have to have anxiety about our eternity. We no longer have to worry about missing out or, you know, are we good enough? Have I done enough? There's rest from that. We have rest in the knowledge of God's promise that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The reason we... Put that cross on the wall. It's not an idol for us. We don't worship that cross. It's a symbol. It reminds us every time we walk in here what Christ has done for us. It gives us confidence that we're forgiven. We're saved. Christ did the work. It's finished, he said. We can't earn our way to salvation through good works. Instead, good works is our response to salvation. We can't help but serve the one who loved us so much that he he gave his life. But, like the Israelites got across the Jordan still, in faith, we have to believe and surrender to Jesus and find rest for our soul. Our soul is no longer striving, no longer in turmoil, no longer grasping for answers, no longer anxious about who we are and our place in this world. And to bring in the theme of Hebrews this rest of the soul becomes deeper and more real as we connect deeply with Jesus. There's a a rest that becomes um, very tangible. It becomes deep in us, deep in our soul, as we deepen that connection to our Lord. Speaking of deeper connection, this brings me to my my third and final point. And you're thinking, that was pretty quick. This is the long one. Okay? (laughs) I want you to Focus on that second one, rest for my soul. But this third one helps us get there, and it's our Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4 only slightly alludes to this, really. He says in verse 4, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And it's a reminder that as humans, created in God's image, following his example is what we do. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Created in God's image, he rests on the seventh day. Some will say, You shouldn't really preach in the Sabbath rest from Hebrews 4 because it's not really what it's about. And that's mostly true. But in my opinion, Sabbath rest is actually a key spiritual discipline that gets us to the rest that we were just talking about, that rest of the soul, that deep walk with Jesus. In point two, the Sabbath helps me. It's not a, a sacrament. It's not a law. It's a good discipline for Christians to strengthen that relationship and find the rest that we're looking for in the here and the now. Not just in eternity, by the way. Now. Verse 7 says, So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. Sabbath connects us to the rest he wants for us, not just in eternity, which we look forward to. That's a a rest. (laughs) But today... You know, often when we think of Sabbath, we immediately think of Pharisees, don't we? Because Jesus was always confronting them about this one, because they were always upset about things being done on the Sabbath, it seems like. All the rules and regulations, that legalistic picture of the Sabbath, it's a distorted picture, and I I want to just say, Church, don't let that turn you away. Instead, there's actually a beautiful picture that we should allow us to draw Us towards the Sabbath. Now, here's what Jesus said in Mark 2. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You know, he was turning things upside down when he said that because it was just a big long list of rules that we could judge people on. And that's not what the Sabbath is about. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. You know, in other words, The discipline of the Sabbath is life-giving to us and Jesus is in the heart of it. And this, I believe, is what God had in mind when he he gifted it to us. Yes, a rest from our labor, but also a rest for the soul that comes through this deepening connection with him that the Sabbath can help us get to. And I, I want to give you some thoughts on how you can recapture your lost Sabbath because it has been lost in our modern world. And, you know, I'm going to just mention, I've I've got some tips from one of my favourite authors, Peter Schizero, out of his book here, Emotionally Healthy Leader, because he talks about this. For those who are interested, by the way, I've put five copies of this on the information desk. And if you are a Christian leader, or a leader who's a Christian, this is my favourite book for you to read. And I say it is one of the, the most fundamentally, but besides the Bible, which is first, foundationally important books for any good Christian leader to read. Has anyone else read this? Some hands up. There is some that's good. I've taken our leaders through it, and I've done it a few times with others as well. The other thing is I'm going to be sharing about his chapter on the Sabbath rest, and I've just got 12 copies of that chapter that you don't have to spend any money on that you can come if you're very interested at the end of the service come and see me it's less than 10% of the book so we're good with copyright regulations okay all right so what is the sabbath or shabbat as the jews say the traditional jewish sabbath begins at sundown on friday it ends at sundown on saturday it's it's a 24 hour period which is key our christian tradition is it was it should still be sunday the actual day doesn't actually matter that much, because here's what Paul says in Romans, you you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Okay? So it doesn't have to be that Friday night to Saturday night tradition. It's not about that. It's about what it is. In fact, it can change if it needs to. Although I I recommend you... You try really hard to find a regular routine because there's a rhythm that comes from a weekly weekly Sabbath that's very important to us. What's most important is a 24-hour period each week and then to protect it. You know, in a way, in your own way, it needs to become sacred. There's an author by the name of Wayne Muller, and he says, to remember the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement but rather a remembrance of a law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are, the rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. And Schizero says there's four foundational characteristics of Sabbath rest that I'm going to share with you today. Here's what he says. The first foundation or the first characteristic is that you have to stop. This one, I guess, is the obvious one. Sabbath is first and foremost a day when we, do, we cease work paid and unpaid. We embrace the fact that we have limits and we recognize that our goals and our work, you know, they can be a bottomless pit, yeah? Sometimes. I don't know, you might be a bit like me. You're always looking to have everything done to finish all of the tasks at hand. I remember when I first became a pastor and I was struggling, I found myself spending a lot of Saturdays working on sermons and I spoke to a, a a seasoned pastor, and I said, how do you do it? Is this what it's going to be like for the rest of my life? He said, Nathan, ministry is a bottomless pit. And I can tell you keep looking for the bottom. And you're not going to find it. And so you've got to set, you've got to stop. When I take a Sabbath day, for me, it's, it's usually a Monday. I try to avoid phone calls and messages as much as possible. You know, I confess I've got this issue where my study keeps sneaking into my Mondays, and, and it shouldn't, I need to work on that one. But I'll, I'll leave emails until Tuesday morning. You know, if you send me an email on a Monday, you'll probably notice I don't reply till Tuesday afternoon, which is when I get to them, because I, I'll, I'll leave them if I can, unless it's an emergency. I'll be, I'll be careful around unpaid work. I'll limit running errands and doing yard work if I can on that day as well. If I can, yeah. The second, look, I'll get to this in a minute. For some of you, yard work is fulfilling. <laughs> So it's okay to do that on your Sabbath. For some of us, it is not. <laughs> All right. Number two, the second foundation is rest. And, and, and this is a big one. Once we stop, we accept the invitation from God to rest. We only engage in activities, here we go, that restore and replenish. If the activity takes from us, a.k.a. pushing that mower, it, does, it goes against the spirit of the Sabbath. The third thing is delight, similar kind of thing. God himself took time to delight in his creation. You know, he took time when he finished on the seventh day, he stopped, he said, it is good. Like he was, he was enjoying what he'd done, you know, took some moments to say, dang, I've done good. It's good. He took delight in what he had done. And I think we have to do the same thing, delight in God's creation, delight in what brings us joy. As we approach our Sabbath rest, we should prepare by asking ourselves, what is it that brings me delight? You know? if Look, if preparing a wonderful roast meal brings you delight, beautiful. If it brings you joy, go for it. Make it the best you can, but you make sure you're enjoying the process. If sitting on a jetty or a boat with a fishing line, Brings you joy, prepare ahead of time and do that. For me, that brings no joy, I'm just gonna say. (laughs) I do not like fishing, but for some of you, you love it. If sitting on a beach or, or, or taking a book to a park or going for a walk or a hike, you know, that's the delight I'm talking about. Just like God Himself delighted in His creation on the Sabbath, we can do that too. The fourth thing is to contemplate. Pondering the greatness of God and his love for us, it's, it is a central focus of the Sabbath. You know, a short time of worship, a time of prayer. You know, a couple of hours at church on a Sunday is a good fit for this, by the way. Drawing closer to God should be part of that day. We don't take time off from our relationship with God. You know, even when you're on holidays, believe it or not, we don't take time off from our walk with the Lord. I'm not talking about this being a day of fasting and prayer. You know, those things are good. I've preached on them before. And we should have them in our life. But that's not necessarily the Sabbath. Rather, we see God in, in what we do as we stop rest and delight. Do you hear what I'm saying? Does anyone hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Sabbath rest is a foretaste of eternal rest. That's why, what I, think, why I think it still belongs in the Christian life. We're, you know, we're living as, as this new creation we're part of the restored kingdom. We're in that now-but-not-yet moment, aren't we? We're, we're redeemed, waiting for, for Christ to come again. If you want a glimpse or a taste of heaven, of eternal rest, you know, this, this is it, this helps us. We fully stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. And for a brief moment in time, we reorient ourselves away from the world and you know, all of its strife. We shut down the noise, we shut down the distractions, we anticipate the world to come in and how things are really meant to be. But let's be honest, practicing Sabbath rest is a challenge for lots of reasons. You know, we struggle to find the time. We're not good at slowing down. There's a lot of distractions in our life. Perhaps we associate Sabbath with legalism. You know, we've got bad memories of of a childhood perhaps from decades ago when, when you, know, you, you can be condemned because you just went to the shops on a Sunday or something like that or you, or you dared to watch NRL or something like that. You'd be condemned for that. That's because the church can be guilty of, of legalism, but the Sabbath teaching back then, it, it felt like it was from the Pharisees sometimes rather than the beautiful gift that it's supposed to be when Jesus said the Sabbath is for you. So some practical tips for you as you get started, I hope, with recapturing your Sabbath. The first one is you've got to identify a 24-hour block of time, and maybe this is the hardest one you have to overcome. Now, Sunday is obviously a great day, and worshipping with your church family is a great way to start that day. Something I committed to a few years ago when I was first talking about the Sabbath to our leaders, and we, we kind of said, yes, yeah, Sunday's good, but a lot of us actually do a lot of volunteering on Sunday at church. You know, how does that work for me as my Sabbath? And I made that commitment then that I was going to do as little as I could on Saturdays as a church, so that if you volunteered on a Sunday, you can say, this, this time, I'm going I'm to commit to Saturday being my Sabbath day, my time with the Lord, like. Like that. And you know, we've done pretty well with that, apart from the occasional working bee or something like that. We don't come up here on Saturday much anymore. We used to do it all the time. We'd always plan things Saturdays. But I found that to work really well for us. Trying to find a consistent Sabbath day is important. If you can't find a 24 hour block, you know, at first anyway, I recommend an 18-hour block. And you know, what about from Sunday from 12 p.m. to Monday morning? But I think 24 hours is where God really wants us to be for us, right? Our counselor Chris, I don't think she's here today, was telling me the other day that in her other counseling job, she sees a lot of uh, Christians who, who are just burnt out in her, in her, other, uh, in her other job. And what she uncovered was people working Monday to Friday, packing out Saturday with lots of activity, not necessarily activity that brings delight or that allows them to stop and rest. And then they would be involved in a church for sometimes up to 12 hours on a Sunday and then back at work on a Monday. You know, volunteering on a Sunday, I mean, not, not our staff. And, and she was just saying to me, you know, this is something we have to be very careful with our expectations as a church on people. We need to give people the space. This is another reason why I've, I've resisted uh, Sunday evening services in this, in this season over the last few years because you know, often the same group that serve on a Sunday morning, they end up back here Sunday evening. They're here at 3 o'clock setting everything up, practicing. They're here to 9 o'clock and all that sort of stuff. And, and what am I doing as a pastor if I'm just loading all this sort of thing up on people? I'm burning them out. I know we could start a really good Sunday evening service, by the way, <laughs> and we would probably um, it'd probably be a place for people in our community who are looking for that. I get that. And maybe one day we will get there when we have the right amount of people, the right people that could serve at the different services and not have to overlap and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but if it costs us some growth, so be it. We, we have to grow in a healthy way. And I know many of you are sitting there thinking that it's just not possible for this 24 hour thing, Pastor. And I just want to set you a challenge. You know, work out how you can creatively start to remove the obstacles. Because it's important. The second thing, the second tip is make a list of what brings you delight. We, we, we covered this a little bit already. Reflect on the places, the activities, and people that energize you. This can include meals with friends, it can include going to A a game with friends. It can it can be recreation. Perhaps just reading, you know, but not reading for work. Reading that brings you joy. And yes, it can be gardening. I'll throw that in there for some of you as well. (laughs) But it can't be a chore, right? The key question is, what can I do that brings me delight? You know, I could even use the word, what feels like play. It feels like play. The third tip is to prepare in advance, and that prepare in advance. That means um, you know the other six days you might have to do things differently to protect this day. Use the hours before your Sabbath to transition. You know you're coming into your Sabbath day, it's Saturday night or whatever. If Sunday's going to be your Sabbath, what do I need to do now to protect tomorrow? Or if it's going to be a Saturday, what do I need to do Friday night? You know, do, do I need to mow the lawn? I keep using these ones. Or, Okay, does the bathroom need cleaning? clean? Does the grocery need to be done before the Sabbath? Because those things don't bring you joy. If you've got work calls to make, get them done. You know, if you've got a, a young family, think about what you need to prepare in advance to minimise, you know, the usual hustle and bustle that goes on. The fussing. And teach your kids, hey, we're going to Stop we're going to slow down, we're going to rest, we're going to delight, and we're going to contemplate and teach them what that means and and ask them to do their own version of that. You know, it doesn't have to be what you do. Their own version of that. Number four is experiment with routines and boundaries. What you will do and won't do is important, but, you know, you can change it as you work on this Sabbath. Questions that you can ask yourself are things uh, like... What will make this Sabbath day different from business as usual? Because if it is business as usual, if you can't tell the difference between that day and any other six days, then, then it's not quite right. What do I need to do or not do to protect my ability to rest on this day? So here's some ideas that, that Peter Gate gives us out of his book. He says, why don't you mark the official start of Sabbath by lighting a candle and giving thanks? Just as, it's just a symbol to help you remember throughout the day. Spend some time listening to God in scripture and prayer and silence. Spend time in God's creation, outdoors. Maybe you enjoy art or or music. Commit to not looking at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or or checking email for 24 hours. It'll still be there when you get back. Put your phone on silent. Set a limit on TV and screen time. You know, Maybe those things are okay to do on a Sabbath, but don't let them just be all about that. Maybe a family routine or a lunch or a dinner together. And you know what? If you don't enjoy the, the process of putting that together, do it the day before so you can just bring it out, reheat it, and you're good to go. But maybe a, a routine with your family and each person around the table can just say out loud one thing that you're thankful for from God that week. Now look, I read this. And I, I haven't done that, but I thought, what a great idea. And then have someone give a prayer of thanksgiving. And keep in mind that this is not meant to be punishment, okay? (laughs) This is not meant to be legalism. This is not a law. This is supposed to be beautiful. We enjoy it with Jesus because the Sabbath helps us keep that relationship and that deep connection with him. So I've just skimmed the service. I hope you can get just a little vision of it today. I hope you can catch a vision of God's desire for you to find rest both today and in eternity. Let me just read you a little story from this book. This is one of Peter's friends who, who travelled to the Holy Land and, and he was hanging out with a with the family there and he said this is his experience of Shabbat with this Jewish family. So beginning about 10 years ago, a rabbi friend invited me into his home again and again and again to experience Shabbat Shabbat with his family. Shabbat always begins with a beautiful meal shared with family and friends. Prayers and blessings are said, and a relaxed evening of conversation follows. Sometimes for three or four hours, the care and intentionality given to choosing the place, the settings, the preparing of special foods, the gathering of friends and the family, they always made it feel more like a full-blown holiday celebration than, than a weekly meal. Imagine doing Thanksgiving, you know, the American Thanksgiving once a week, and you'll have an idea of what the Sabbath is like. The rabbi and his family taught me how their adherence to a rigid set of guidelines about what they can and cannot do on a Sabbath served as a container that allowed them to enter into the Sabbath's rest. For them, Shabbat is very different from the other six days of the week. Everything that distracts, And there are many distractions in our technological and information-saturated age is put aside in favor of things like prayer, study, long walks, naps, hikes, shared meals, and meaningful conversations. There would be no time or space for such things without the protection or firm limits on the day. As I said, I'm not trying to make a law here. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I think this is a beautiful picture that maybe we've lost a little bit. Because here's what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry burdens. And I think that's probably nearly all of us here today. And I will give you rest. There it is. Rest. And he says, Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Remember the author of Hebrews said that's for today. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That heavy burden you carry, church. Those things you're ashamed of, the weariness from overwork, the weariness from striving to please God and to please others. Jesus says, don't shape up. He doesn't say try harder. He didn't say toughen up. He just said, come to me. Just be in my presence. Give me that heavy burden you keep carrying and replace it with my My light one, it's like a feather. It's like a little piece of paper. It's that light. He is literally asking us to just come and be with me and I will give you rest. That's what he wants most. That is where we find it. Not in our striving. You know, I'm all for taking long holidays and breaks. I've preached on it. But this rest for the soul is with your connection with our Lord Jesus. And he's there asking us, I want you here right beside me. So we'll do it this morning. Let's stand and pray together. I'm sorry for all the times I didn't give you any space. I am sorry, Lord, that I filled my life with junk and then wondered why I had no rest. So we do stop and pause in stillness now. We come to you. We come to you with our burdens. Remember you said in Psalms that we can cast these things to you. We can give them to you. and we ask that you would minister to us today.